My guest on today's episode is Oki Aliazu. Oki's LinkedIn header says, inspirational leader, passionate about changing the world to make it better for customers, fired up and ready to go. We didn't quite get on to the fired up and ready to go story. However, I know from personal experience that the words on his header are actually true. He's worked across numerous sectors, including retail, financial services, healthcare, and housing, with a variety of clients, including Sainsbury's, Standard Life, Amlin, and Prudential Health. And as part of his work with Sainsbury's, Oki fulfilled the role of customer service strategy director, covering all stores, contact centers, online, mobile, and social media, as well as Sainsbury's Bank and Sainsbury's Energy. He was customer service and operations director for Bupa as well, where he delivered a number of initiatives across people, process, and technology improvements in order to maintain Bupa's reputation for first-class service. As I said at the beginning, he's currently the COO for FinTech Startup, bought by many, and we'll hear a lot more about that during the program. What all that adds up to is a ton of practical experience of delivering customer service on the front line of some of the UK's leading companies. And in 2015, he wrote a book where he put forward the notion that in companies known as leaders in customer experience, the culture resembles that of a cult. And in this episode, you'll hear exactly what he meant by that. And you'll also get a lot of real life examples of how to put customer experience theory into practice, as well as some fascinating insights into how he has been personally affected by the events of 2020. So without further ado, let's talk to Ogie. Hi, Oki. Thanks very much indeed for coming on the show. Great to see you. And um, yeah, really looking forward to this conversation. And I wonder whether we could just start with a bit about you. Um, We first met around 2010, I think it was, when you were about to take on board the Director of Customer Service Strategy role at Sainsbury's. Um, And I know you've held a number of really interesting roles and been a consultant, written a book, and now you're the COO of an award-winning insurance company. And perhaps you could just Tell us in your own words, really, your journey and how and why you've ended up doing what you're doing now. Yeah, hi, thanks for that. Actually, I think our paths might have crossed earlier when we were both at Legal and General or around. Yeah, you might be right, actually. Yes, absolutely right. Yeah. You know, so typical to loads of other people, straight from university, looked for a great graduate course, found one at Legal and General. I loved the look of the company and did that. And it, uh, here's the thing that a lot of people don't know about me, which is I qualified as an accountant whilst at LNG. You didn't on tell the, me on the, Yeah, on the graduate finance scheme. So that was pretty cool. And worked there and, and kind of fell into insurance, really, because I just liked the look of legal in general. And like they had a great graduate scheme. And I, in back there, when you're young, you always think, ah, I can start with this and I'll just go off and do this. And then I'll go off. You've got this, this idea that you could pivot in your life and it's really, really easy. But then you find out that it's really, really not because people like to pigeonhole you and put you in boxes. So, you know, you're an insurance person suddenly. You think, well, no, no, I could do other things. No, 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 you work in insurance. And then you're an accountant in insurance. Well, I'm not. I could do other things. Oh, well, no, insurance. not really. Yeah. You qualified as an accountant in an insurance company. That's what you are. Mm-hmm. So that, that that was quite limiting to kind of start as. But then I was really lucky. and I joined a big project at LNG and by hook, as a finance manager because I was a finance person. But as things happen in those sort of businesses, a few people left or sort of left and I ended up becoming the ops manager at a pretty young age and it was great and that was my first experience of one managing lots of people you know I think I had about 100 people in my team so go from no one to 100 in like one day was was quite exciting (laughs) and two they dealt with customers and that was great as well and we were doing loads of things for customers and I kind of that's where I kind of got obsessed with 
how can we make this better and make it work better for customers? And in the insurance environment, that was quite difficult. But anyway, so that was that. That was me doing customer stuff. And I kind of went on from there, really, within the insurance industry into the Prudential, doing stuff with customers, doing well, and then ended up being a head of also a customer service director of the Prue, which was an amazing, amazing job. Remember the Prue back then? probably actually may still be was the biggest insurance company in the country and the one of the biggest legacy books in the country so you know i had four thousand people all over the country um working uh with me for me or however you want to say it and that was great i was looking after 18 million customers and that was thrilling and actually is, is a really important part of the story because actually when i was at uh, when i got promoted at the Prue, i asked i saw a course at disney and I thought, well, I'm going to be looking after all these customers. Um, and I know a little bit, but I, why, surely if I go there, I'll, I'll learn everything I need to know about customer, customer experience and all the rest of it. And so I kind of talked to the boss and CEO, and he said, well, if you bring us back three things that we can do differently, you can go. So I, mm-hmm. I went and spent 10 days at um, the Disney Institute in Orlando. Best 10 days of my, of my career in terms of learning about how things should happen. Disney's incredible. You can't learn at a better place about customer experience than at Disney. Mm. And so that was important. Ended up doing some, uh, being a CEO at Booth for Customer Service and Ops Director for three years. Then <laughs> uh, decided that rather than trying to work with one company, I could work with lots if I just did some consultancy. So I started thinking outside in as a consultancy business. I worked with lots of different people, lots and lots of businesses, lots and lots of sectors. And that's actually probably when we started, we bumped into each other mm, for the first time. Mm. And then, yeah, I, as part of that, I was lucky enough. So second or third really important pivotal moment, which was that I got the opportunity to be director of customer uh, experience at Sainsbury's. And that was a really hard decision to, to do that job because I was enjoying what I was doing anyway. But basically, if you go to a business that's got 160,000 colleagues and is dealing with 100 million transactions a week with customers, if you're going to try and prove that you can do the right thing with customers, that's the place to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so did that successfully, some great work, great projects, unbelievable colleagues, what an industry. Retailing is incredible. Food retailing is the incredible end of retailing. Uh, fantastic. Learned so much there that I've now taken both into going back to consultants and then coming uh, into a startup. And when you started, a tiny startup was exciting. To grow it to what it's become already has been thrilling and doing it literally on the basis of being great with customers has been a a hell of a ride fantastic i mean what a career path and i mean a really difficult question but is there any particular role or project that stands out as being the most enjoyable to you in in that time that you did yeah yeah it is a difficult question i've got to say sainsbury's was incredible because i I remember saying to justin king and who was the ceo and gwyn burr who was who was my boss there you know, you do realize I know nothing about retailing. And they were like, we don't, right? But we know you know about customers, right? Mm. So we're backing you to come and help us take a step forward as, as a business. And to, to join that business, to put some pretty fundamental, the loads of the stuff was there. So just tune up a, a lot of what was there already and to motivate and inspire hopefully loads of people in stores and stuff like that and lots of the leadership and the management was incredible and you know for three years uh we won the grocer award for customers three at least three years i was there maybe four so that was a great result 
from where you know we, we shift the net promote score 10 20 30 points you know mm. so as a holistic project that was amazing yeah no very exciting i remember your time there obviously we, we did, did a little we bit work together, there. Right? yeah we did yeah absolutely and it was uh, I, I found it equally exciting certainly working on some of the customer insight things and the, as you say when you've got that kind of reach you know um, normally when we put a survey out over a weekend we might get a couple of hundred responses and i think the first time we got 58,000 um, <laughs> so, which yeah we gave us quite a lot of stuff to analyze i seem to remember but uh, I mean, the insight fantastic. stuff was amazing because um, before then uh, we had justin was a really amazing ceo in many ways and he he was really in touch with what happened in in stores but he got a lot of his information from complaints and stuff like that mm. and he'd go to a store every week maybe twice a week or many stores and he'd be able to talk to the store manager about their stores and when we get when we launched the insight stuff it's like he had another lens on the store he was able to read the store and and talk to the store manager saying what's going on in your store and he'd be like oh, well, this thing goes what about the car park mm. <laughs> Right? We go, how do you know at the car park? Because 20 customers last week said they couldn't find the space mm, in the car. Mm, mm. You know, and, and that's the power of insight. And I don't need to tell you how powerful that is in driving a culture in, in an organization to be customer-centric. No, absolutely. I totally agree. So on that point about culture, let me pivot to your book, okay? And I'm sure you'd be delighted that I'm going to mention your book. And uh, oh, it's available well, from... You can mention as much as you like. <laughs> I thought you might say that. Signed copies available for anyone who uh, downloads the podcast, I'm sure. But um, a serious point, though. I mean, obviously, you, as a practitioner, so you, you've come through your career, you've learnt, if you like, the hard way insofar as you've kind of been there and done it, which is, you know, what I love about the stuff that you write, because I know that it's A, from the heart, and B, it's based on experience, which is is almost the most valuable from my perspective. So, and during lockdown, when certainly the first lockdown, when the weather was great uh, and the weekends were a little bit less hectic than normal, I actually read your book, right? I'm, I'm, I, I, and you know, it took way too long. I know, I know. And I, I skimmed it previously and I might have nicked a couple of charts out of it, but I genuinely read it from cover to cover, which um, uh, I, and I enjoyed it. And I'm not just saying that to suck up to you because you're on this podcast. It was genuinely interesting. And I also know that you read it, uh, wrote it, because uh, rather than getting it ghostwritten, because it was exactly how you speak, so um, which I thought was very authentic. Anyway, enough of the plug. I think the, the point I was going to get to was the whole central theme of the book, which you've called The Cult of Service Excellence, is about the fact that cultures created in some of the world's greatest customer-focused, customer-centric companies resemble the mindset of a cult. Okay, now, did you really mean that? I mean, it's 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 got some real connotations to it, and it's a very powerful statement. But I'd I'd love to explore that with you. What what made you come up with that as a concept? And and you know, do you kind of mean that as a cult? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Look. Look, you know, poetic license, but basically it's an extrapolation of an idea that a cult is is based on lots of different things. But one thing is a, is a, a central belief that everybody in it believes in, right? Everybody believes in, be it good or bad. And in no way was I glorifying cults. I was saying they have a strong core of belief, right? And belief's hugely important. And I think to create a customer-centric organization, it's exactly the same, right? At the core of that organization, you have to believe in doing the right things for customers. And actually, because it, when you run a business, and I know that's this now from running a small business and growing it, there are so many distractions, there are so many things that can drive you to make decisions that aren't customer centric at all, you know, unless your belief is 
that actually we believe that this is the right thing to do. The central path around customer centricity is right. And everyone has to believe that. So even in our organization now, it's one of the core questions is, we're a customer centric business. Can you tell me about another customer centric business and why it makes it that way? Because we want to understand that you understand what it means, yeah. what being customer centric means and what making customer centric decisions means. So I 100% believe that. And not only do I believe it, not only have I been in the position to help build it, but mm. it's, I've seen it in organizations. And that's what that's what drove it. If you if you actually go to Disney and you spend time there talking to the trainers at the Institute or the guy that takes us around the park or the people in the park, they fundamentally believe in the making their guests as happy as they possibly can, showing them that magic. Yeah. Right. And yeah. everything they do, everything they do is centered around creating magic for those customers. And you don't get people. I interviewed someone last week who'd been seven times to Disney. I'm like, what? But I wasn't like, what? Because I know that these people exist, right? Mm. And, and basically, if any business thought, I can get that degree of, of repurchase, of recommendation, of fandom, you would have it. But to, have, mm. to get that, you have to have the belief at the central core that being customer-centric will win, win the way for you. And so, yeah, I do believe it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of what you wrote in the book absolutely resonated, not just in terms of saying, yeah, I agree with that, but actually it resonates with the kind of stuff that we talk to our clients about and and some of the important things. And I guess one of the areas that really resonated with me was a whole thing about not just empowerment as a kind of concept, but genuine empowerment where people act upon customer feedback or they do something instinctively as opposed to sort of having to think about a rule book or how they do things. And there was one story that really stuck with me, which was the the tiger bread story. I don't know if you remember that from the book. I do. Tell us a bit about that and why that's such a an important kind of anecdote in terms of illustrating the power of empowering colleagues. Yeah. Well, this is all about freedom to act, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Will, skill, she give you will, the skill and the permission to act, right? Mm. And that is what empowerment is about. And we had a young uh, lady, I think her name was Lily, and she was young, maybe she was seven. And she'd seen, you know, that flaked bread, which we call, which is called t- tiger bread, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows why it's called tiger bread, right? And she'd written in and said, why is it, why is it called that? And, and in, in a really clear sort of young person's language and and our customer service agent wrote back in that same language agreeing you know and saying maybe we, maybe we should maybe we should call it giraffe bread you know she said it should be called giraffe bread yeah. he said it should be called giraffe bread and and some magic happened there and the magic comes from that empowerment to allow people to to believe in your business and represent it appropriately which is which is what what he did and then when when the recipient gets that, they they feel that this is incredible, and so her mother, Lily's mother, tweeted it, or mm-hmm. and it went viral, right? Yeah. And then once it went viral, we were like, "This is so cool! Let's just call it giraffe bread," <laughs> right? Uh, and so actually renamed it in every single store in the country because you can do that because <laughs> it wasn't a brand name; it's just what it was called, giraffe bread, and that was all down to Lily and all down to this agent feeling empowered to act appropriately and you know what was really interesting because that was at the time when 
the whole getting people to work in social media and respond was quite a, oh my God, what happens when, can we trust people to do it? And all the best stories, every great viral story, all the best stories you'll ever see in this were where someone has just acted on their own. They haven't gone to a rule book or a training course or anything. They have just thought, do you know what? I'm going to have some fun with this. And it has incredible results. So you've got to look for the people who are going to feel strong enough to do that and create an environment that allows them to do it. Absolutely. No, 100%. And and I just wanted to pull out that story because it, it, you know, it's such a simple story, but the fact that you went the extra mile and actually renamed the bread is, is okay, people might be listening thinking, what's he on about? But the point there was, it's just capitalising on a magic moment, as you called about it. And and um, that agent's going to feel great. The, the child's going to feel great and the family's going to feel great. And, and obviously they tweeted it, so it's not going to be doing you any harm. But the organisation feels great. Right, yeah. The whole organisation feels great. And actually, that's marketing, that's produce, that's customer service, that's everyone linking together to make something happen. And I'll go back to the cultish thing, you know, but no one in that chain thought, why the hell are we doing this? This is stupid. Everyone thought, this is amazing. No, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And just, I mean, you touched on it already in terms of talking about Disney and talking about their purpose of making people as happy as they possibly can. And I mean, you work across a whole range of disciplines in CX and you do it extremely effectively in, in the businesses that you're in. And when we're doing our work at Penn, we find that often the best success within our customer experience and employee experience projects comes when, I suppose, organizations have a clear purpose and a clear set of customer principles to guide everything that they do. I mean, first of all, do you agree that that's a, an absolutely critical foundation of a great CX culture and, and a program, if you like? And then secondly, can you think of a great example, perhaps beyond Disney, of an organization that you've worked with that's got a really clear purpose and set of principles that has kind of driven, if you like, a lot of activity off the back of it? I always love hearing these stories of where you take these things because often they're theoretical. But in my experience, it works really well. I'd love to hear your experience as well. Yeah. So that was a long question now. Oh, <laughs> like, what was the first part of that question again? The whole thing around, uh, I call it North Star right is is fundamental right and it's not fundamental to a cx program it's fundamental to an organization right because what i find and even when i was consulting was that a cs director or someone will come to me and they would say you know we want to get this going and you know not everyone in this organization takes it seriously so i've created a vision for for the for my part of the organization and so on and so on. i say is that is it the vision for the whole organization well it's kind of hard to do it for the whole organization so i've kind of got on with it and and not don't get me wrong it's a great place to start, but it won't ultimately work unless it's the vision for the whole organization, yeah. that the whole organization believes in that North Star. And that North Star is about doing amazing things for customers. And if the number one thing I used to look for, how aligned is the whole organization behind a purpose around customers? And don't get me wrong, it's fine if your organization isn't, right? But then don't pretend that you're customer-centric, right? Don't pretend. Be profit-driven, be growth-driven, be whatever it is. That's great, right? But don't say, we're really customer-centric, and then say, but actually our number one thing is growth at all costs. Mm -hmm. That's that's not the same, right? Mm. So it is the number one. It is the driver. And for anyone listening, if you can't get that, you're going to struggle. And if, if I look for an example of it, the one I'll use bought by many only because I'm living and breathing it right and I can see it from inside rather than outside at the moment 
And we were clear, I, you know, when I joined the organization, it was like, I will only join if we can do this this way, that we will create a central purpose that's about doing stuff better. One, by the way, I'd hate insurance by that point anyway. So to go back insurance, I need to do it better and differently. And we were like, we're only 20 people or 22 people. Like, well, that's okay. We can, we can do that, right? And so we did. And so our central cause became better insurance for everyone. Mm. And that drives the business. Then we created three customer experience principles that supported it. Because I can never remember what they are for, it's either Google or Apple, one of them. But they're very, uh, it's Google. They have three statements. I was like, oh, that's great. So when I get the opportunity, I'm going to do them. I'm going to do the same three. Not the same three. I'm going to do three. And ours were um, easy everything, show you care, stay connected, Mm. right? Those are our three principles. We built this business that I'm working in now based on those three principles. Yeah. You know, a North Star better insurance and, you know, those three principles that, that underpinned it. And how did you come up with the principles? What, what, what was that based on? Was that just based on the fact that you thought that was the right thing to do? Was it based on research? Was it, what, what was the... Yeah, it was a bit of both, actually. It was simplicity and ease has long been a driver of mine. You know, research suggests that... And still does to this day, the simpler and easier you make something for customers, the more they'll appreciate it. Okay. And so insurance was riddled, still is, with organizations that make things hard for customers. Yeah. And so we just kind of thought, well, if we make it easier for them. And we did a load of research. We did a lot, it was mainly around products, to be honest. But what came out from what customers told us about what they wanted in products was actually about the organization. We want it to be simple. We want it to be easy. Show You Care also came from, also all three of them came from that same set of, of research. So Show You Care came from a, basically the reason why people hate insurance companies is they don't care right, mm. about mm. you and your family on your home. And so we decided to decide that we did. We do care, right? And that second, the Stay Connected was insurance companies only talk to you when they want to tell you something. And actually, we decided that we wanted to be a business that had an open dialogue with our customers continually, not just at buying, renewing and claiming, but through the whole journey. And how did you translate those principles into the actual experience itself? So I I remember doing a bit of work with you when you first joined and, you know, you, you were sort of thinking about the customer journey and and i mean is that the sort of primary transmission mechanism that you use to sort of think take those principles and start to design and experience bottom up because unless i'm missing something that's kind of what you did you sort of said right we're going to do this differently (laughs) blank sheet of paper you know what how do you how do people do stuff at the moment but let's not do it that way let's do it differently i mean how do you kind of translate it so exactly that around the journeys so one Think of all the journeys, you know, you helped us with our sort of five blob thing where we thought of the different points where people think of insurance and and two of those before they've even bought it. Mm. And let me tell you, right now, with everyone buying puppies, that investment we made in being able to interact with customers uh, when they're thinking of buying puppies is still all important, right? You know, what do you need to have a puppy? How do you think it'll be trained? What you should be looking for? If you search those sort of things, you'll, you'll find articles from bought by many. Right, right. Because we've yeah. thought about the whole journey, which includes the bit that's not part of our, what's traditionally not part of our journey. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's part of something else. You know, even to the point of which which insurance company should I go to? And we go, we list six, seven, eight, nine insurance companies you can go to. People are like, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Because we're not the only people that do pet insurance, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. hopefully through the journey, people will understand that they want to maybe do do that that with us so so we, we did that whole thing we were able to plot the journey in its main 
touch points, touch point analysis, which was you, you guys helped us with. And then we were able to break down each of those touch points into, to, into journeys that made sense for the customer that we thought, using the principles about making it all those three things. And I think actually the easiest one to use as an example of this is, is the claims process that we have, mm-hmm. whereby when I sat down with, because we had to use an outsourcer and they've been great, you know, because we set out great principles for them to work within. But they were like, here's our claim form. I'm like, right, that's great. But do we really need a form? And they were like, well, yeah, of course, everyone has a claim form. I'm like, but you didn't ask my question. Do we actually need the form? Right. Well, well, yes. I'm like, okay, let's, let's apply the principle of making it easy. Right. Does this make it easy? And they're like, right, right, let's think. Let's not ask the customer for anything we've got ourselves. Right. Let's go through the form. And we chunked out things that we had ourselves and all the rest of it, all we can get from someone else. So we said, we won't ask the customer for anything we can, that we haven't got ourselves or we can't ask someone else for. And really, effectively, the claim form disappeared with it in our eyes. <laughs> you know, and we created an online claims process that had five questions in it. Mm. So so quick, so easy, the customers often think they hadn't actually submitted a claim. And they right. had. Right. right. And that was easy everything. But the back end of that, when people's pets died, we decided that even though we're a digital business, it would be nice to send them a card. So we send them a little card saying, we're really sorry. And you've mm. informed us because you have to inform us your insurance company, but we've heard you and we want to show you that we care. Mm. Right. And that was the simplest, it's probably the most, of all things my whole career that we've ever done that had the biggest impact. That was it. Really? Right. Tiny little card, handwritten by the team. Right. Right. You know, and that will show you care. And the last bit to is about staying connected. We knew we couldn't do claims as quickly as other people, but we worked out that that's not what was important to customers. What was important to customers is they knew what was going on. So we invested in a process that would do what it needed to do to get the claim settled. But at strategic points within that process, we would text or email customers to let them know what was going on. You know, right. and that's what drove a net promoter score in our claims process that's over 80. <laughs> wow. Okay. Amazing. And I mean, that, that's fantastic because that's a really good set of examples for people to think about, you know, take these this purpose, the principles, drill them into the journey, think about the moments of truth, the things that really matter most to customers. Fantastic. And I get the bit about kind of, you know, staying connected. I mean, what about not just the good stuff, but how do you generally listen to customers and act on their feedback? Because I'm sure that not everything you do is always universally brilliant in the eyes of customers. There must be things that they they like least. I mean, how do you... That is. <laughs> so, so do you... Um, I'm going to ignore that. Um, do you have a forum? Do you have a customer forum or anything? Or is it just kind of naturally part of how you... The rhythm of the company re- responds to, to customer feedback? Because people do it differently. And I suppose I'm just interested in the formality or not as, as to yeah, how it works. No, it's, it's a good question. And, uh, you know, th- we go through different sort of ideas at different times. You know, we, start, we started the whole... We built the whole business on customer feedback. You know, we used Facebook extensively, but we still do back then. So we got lots of feedback from people leaving comments in Facebook and, and, and that helped us build our products and our services. In fact, it helped us build our whole business. And it's still a very good way when you've got hundreds of thousands of people in your Facebook communities, you can ask them things and get feedback on things and listen to that and take it forward. So that's always been there. And we do customer insight, customer feedback on on major parts of the the customer journey. So we're always attuned to that. I've never known a business, and I know, I suppose, it's partly because 
I'm pretty integrated into it that looks at customer feedback as much as we do. So I get, you know, my old morning commute used to be jump on the train, open up the email, get my customer feedback email from the day before, read all the comments, right? But what's important is I wasn't the only one doing that. Yeah. Right. Others are doing that. And, you know, we use customer feedback tools and whenever there's a one star review and two star review, so to a point, we do get them, mm. you know, I read it and our poor head of customer experience, sometimes you'll say, you sent me an email and Stephen, the CEO sent me an email and Guy, the CEO, CTO sent me all the same because we've all read the same thing. Like, why has this happened? And shouldn't yeah. we be doing differently? So I know what's great. I know I'm not the only one reading this stuff. Yeah. Whereas in many organizations, I would have been the only one reading it, you know. Yeah. And that's four years into the journey, right? We're still all reading this stuff. And we do this sort of stuff like that. We do lots of, so we do breadth in quant research and we do depth in, in qualitative research, literally getting customers. When we, when we launched, having a go in front of us, yeah. right? In getting them in the office, couldn't do that now. Get in the office. Although we also used a thing called Hotjar, which showed us what people were doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, we now use a system called Heap, which lots of on- online businesses use. And it's literally like a live stream of customer stuff. So the whole business is completely built around customers yeah. and customer insight and customer research. No, fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Really interesting. Just turning to a couple of other things that you, I know that you do. So first of all, I know that you're a, a keen supporter of charities and social enterprises. And, and when I say supporter, I don't just mean that you put your hand in your pocket. Uh, but what, what I mean by that is, is your support on the board or as an advisor. A couple that stand out for me are Fuse and Beam, both one word organizations. But I wonder if you just tell us a little bit about them. But, but perhaps the point being, how does customer centricity if there is such a thing in a charity or a social enterprise work versus a commercial organization i mean what's your experience of that because it's always interesting to compare the two i think yeah if it's okay i'll I'll come back to fuse and beam but for nine years i was on the board of a social housing organization bromford housing uh fifty thousand homes in the midlands ish so big business right but social business Okay, but they didn't make any. They didn't make money per se, no profit per se. And I did a lot of work with them and other housing associations since about this whole thing. And and what it came back to is it all boiled back to the same thing: purpose, right? So whether your purpose ultimately is to make money, but or not, the customer centricity thing still needs to be the core at the yeah. core, right? Yeah. So. For 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 Bromford, it was uh, you know helping people live the life they want to live, or or words to that effect. It's it's about enabling people. So and that, in that sentence, it wasn't about we just put a roof over your head. It's about we enable you to be the best you can be, right? right? Which is partly putting a roof over your head, but there's other things we do for you too. And as a business, we're committed to doing those things. And so that central purpose was the same as how we would think of a central purpose in a commercial organization. So right. the, the building blocks that, that I talk about, that you talk about, and most people in customers are exactly the same. They're exactly the same, right? Whether you're making money or doing social good, as far as I'm concerned. Both Fuse and Beam are interesting because Fuse actually is a social learning platform in essence, but has a, a social enterprise spin-off at the side called Fuse School, which was about using bite-sized learning to educate kids in in less advantaged parts of the world. So it's like digitizing the curriculum, you know, into small bite-sized chunks, which when you think about it's incredibly powerful because the thing that actually has become ubiquitous is the internet. 
And so it's still a long way to go to schools in Africa and in India and certain parts of the world. But actually, they can lots of have have access to the internet. And so the idea was to to digitize the world's curriculum and allow kids to access it around the world, which is incredibly powerful mm-hmm. and has mm-hmm. had an, a, amazing results. And Beam really is a is is a high flying social enterprise and that's more around homelessness so through my work at Bromford I became very interested in we had this incredible presentation once around homelessness and it made me understand I knew nothing about it right right to me homelessness was the guy or lady in the in the shop with with his um sort of a sleeping bag and dog and it's so much more than that mm. it's so much more complex than that and it's so easy to end up in that situation yeah so I became interested and fascinated in it and lucky enough to introduce the guys at Beam who who created this crowdsourcing platform in order that people can contribute to the training of those homeless people to enable them to have a better life. Right. You know, so it's not giving them money. You know, you're better off. They're giving your money into a crowdfund thing yeah. at Beam and us training up people to be. And it could loads of trades, hairdressers, plumbers, electricians, but giving them Weirdly, going back to that purpose, giving them a purpose and then and then facilitating that through sort of um, training. And But you need funding and the funding comes from the crowd. Both of those are about technology. I've become really fascinated by technology and the role that technology plays to facilitate customer experience or customer good or social enterprises. And so that, that's kind of been either uh, uh, bought by many or at Fuse or Fuse School or at Beam. No, hopefully some food for thought there for people listening because it's a fascinating story and I'd urge you to have a look at both those businesses because they're really interesting. Okay, let's just turn to 2020 because it's a bit difficult not to given the situation we've been in this year and um, every time we speak, you know, we always have half an hour on (laughs) how we feel and what's going on and and almost counting our blessings in some respect that we both got good jobs and um, you know we can work this way and, and we're all staying healthy and safe and everything but so it, it's been a, a, a tumultuous year I suppose in in many ways and not just in terms of the the pandemic and I suppose what I'm struck by is this kind of almost polar set of feelings I've got in one hand is the sort of coming together within communities across different countries and and people kind of reacting slightly differently to one another and, and, you know, who knows whether that'll last or not. And then on the other side of it, there's been all sorts of other events taking place where, you know, very blatant inequality, prejudice being called out, hate in some respects and and aspects of society. I mean, how has it affected you this year and and what do you think some of the lasting impacts of that are going to be? Yeah, I mean, crikey, we could do another podcast on just this. Sure we could. Quite easily. So to drill it down, I think what we've ended up with is the thing that you and I talk about a lot is is like change, pivotal change, a shock, disruption. So people always want to talk to me about disruption. You work in a thing, you know about disruption. And I'm like, well, yeah, this is real disruption, right? On a scale that we couldn't possibly, literally, even this time last year, Neil, if we, you and I have been chatting, we no. could not, even though it was starting to kick off a bit and no one could envisaged what 2020 has become, really. It's just incredible. And that's, you know, obviously a huge healthcare crisis, which, you know, we're, not, we're nowhere near through yet. You know, at least we see at least we see a way out of it, but it's caused untold deaths globally, a total rethinking of how the world 
operates and the world of work is decimated by that. Not decimated, that's the wrong word. Has had to evolve and change and pivot to deal with that. So it's almost mind-blowing and we're not through it yet. And then we've got the whole idea of an economic, (laughs) you know, you know, I don't know when this will go out, but we know that the Chancellor laid out what was quite a, if not horrific, very challenging uh, vision of the future economically in this country, you know, both in terms of paying back the debt and the impact on that and that what that would do for companies, um, that would do for unemployment. These are these are pretty incredible things economically that are to come, mm. right, that will also have an effect on health care but will also feed forward to the third crisis that I think that is like a three horses of the, uh, I know it's four horsemen of the apocalypse, but I can only think of three. Um, I probably can think of a fourth, political. So there's a political one, if you want to go for four, but the one that you're kind of alluding to there is also one around social, social issues. And so we have the, 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 the population most affected by corona in many ways is the sort of lower income, Part of it, one, in terms of job losses, more casual work, job losses, social pressure. Some of them, the way they live, there's been more illness and and more, more illness and certainly more death, perhaps in that in that grouping. And that also includes the uh, black and ethnic minority groups as well in that group. And then layered on top of that are all the issues that we've had around racial equality, driven by the Black Lives Matter movement, but not hung up on the words letters BLM or Black Lives Matter, but basically the racial equality that has now been, we've shone a light on as a country, as a world, and had to deal with that. So you layer that element of social inequality on top of everything and the economics to come, which will reinforce that and job losses and, and so on and so forth. 2020 has been hard, and I hate to be a doom merchant, but 2021 may be harder. And And I mean, from your personal perspective, I mean, I know you've written quite a lot about subjects and I, I, I know that you're getting involved in things like Black in Business, Black Leaders Network. So just to take the racial side of it for a moment, I mean, h- how has it impacted you and what, what are you, you know, are you sort of different emerging from this in terms of your determination to do something and be more vocal or h- how are you approaching it? Yeah, yeah, like completely different. You know, if I'm honest, through my career, I've been really focused on me, you know, me and what I do and and how me and the organizations I work for and with and Mm. how I can do the best I can for those organizations to improve them generally and then progress myself. Right. Let's be honest. And uh, I think I told you the story. I told a lot of people the story. You know, it's only when my daughter through the whole George Floyd, Black Lives Matter thing in in the States and then it came into this country, turned to me and she's 17. These pesky 17 year old daughters. And so I said, well, dad, this is you know, you're in a position of influence. What are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing? You know, she's like, what are you doing to help racial equality in this country? And the answer is nothing, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm helping by being me and doing well. She goes, even then, you're not helping. You're not telling anyone about it. You're not telling them how are you, who you're mentoring, who you're coaching, who are you helping pull up to make them better? I'm like, ugh, that's, that's pretty chastening when you look in the mirror and you get that little volley and so so yeah totally changed me totally made me uh, not only did I do nothing I knew nothing right right um so I didn't do anything and I hadn't really studied I never really read anything about this sort of stuff and yes I could I can recount many examples of racial equality that I have experienced 
but I just brush them off and move on, right? You know me, that's just like whatever, boom, keep going. But so, so my the recognition for me has been that I need to do more, right? Everyone has to do more, but I especially have to do more, and that's why, as a result, I've both within our organisation, we've got a massive uh, initiative around racial equality. I've helped other organisations as well, and I'm, I've created this initiative, Black in Business, where we're going to be focusing on different elements to try and improve racial equality in this country. Because actually, I'm a great believer that. The answer is in business. It's really in government too, right? I can't do anything to help government. I don't know anything about government, but I do know about business, right? I do know how businesses work at small, medium and large scale. So I know that. So if I can get Corral a group of people together to to think about how we might make changes in this space, it might be an awareness. It might be joining Black Leaders together in a Black Leaders network. It might be creating education you know, it might be about creating greater opportunities for, for people of colour. I should give it a go. And that's what I'm going to focus on. Very good to hear. I mean, just on the the whole thing about ways of working as well, if I might just step back one step to that, because I'm just thinking back to the sort of customer link to this. I mean, do you feel that there will be lasting change around, for example, how your organisation works and perhaps other organisations that you know in terms of flexibility or location and, and kind of in turn... You know, I always feel that the employee experience drives the customer experience as as much as anything else. I mean, are there going to be knock-on impacts in the long term that are going to drive right through the customer journey and the way in which you serve people? So let's go back to disruption. I've never known a time like this in terms of disruption. And uh, I heard a great phrase, um, I think it's Stuart Houston of, of Dropbox, it's not often I credit other people with stuff that normally say it's, I came up with it. Um, but he, he used a term which I thought was great, which was we've walked through a one-way door, right? Mm. We've walked through that, we're through it, right? As much as many people want to go back, there is that door's locked, it's gone forever. It's changed, right? And I, I keep saying to people that, that when people ask me about this, I think we've got to, we've got to embrace what's in front of us the way employees want to work is changed forever. I want to work, you want to work, everybody. And I read an article in the FT, uh, no, in the Times at the weekend by someone, I think it was the Bank of England or whatever, and it was saying that there's, you know, working from home has caused a, a drop in productivity, that it can't last, that it's not effective for companies. I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but that's just total rubbish, right? That's changed, that's gone. And then in the war for talent, if you're saying to people, do you know what? To come work for our company, you have to go to the office five days a week, nine to five. You will lose, right? I tell you now, you will lose. That's not what people want anymore. They've experienced it. And and, and I'll give you a really great example of it. We've done brilliantly uh, bought by many to do pet insurance for anyone who doesn't know. And everyone's buying puppies, right? Why is everyone buying puppies? Because they're at home. They know that they can train the, 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 the dog. They can walk the dog. And, and so they're making that commitment, right? They're making that commitment. That commitment won't change. In it, they've made a big commitment. It's almost like having a kid. They've made they've made that commitment. It's happened. So one, someone's going to be at home. Someone's going to be at you know. That's now got to happen because those people are thinking I'm not going back to where I was. Right. Even if I have to go in one day a week or two days a week, I don't envisage I'm going to go in five days a week. And, and on the back of that, I'll make this huge life changing decision to get a puppy. And there are thousands of people doing this all around the country. So you know, Mister. Bank of England can say what he likes, right? We've got the real evidence of people changing their lives and their lives are better for it, mm. right? So that's going to be incredible. It also, I'm um, sorry because I'm passionate about this, it allows this whole working from home 
or from anywhere, for me, it's got this this ability to allow you to to tap into the best talent wherever it is. Yeah. And it opens also opens up the door to people who may have been excluded from 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 working for whatever reason, you know, childcare, this to work flexibly and suddenly rejoin this population. And if they're brilliant, mm. let's have them back. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a double benefit, isn't it? It's a benefit for the organisation and a benefit for the um, the person. So don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There are issues for retail. There are issues for banking. There's re- issues for, for hospitality. I don't make light of those things. Incredibly challenging now and will be incredibly challenging. But coming out of some of these are some amazing opportunities to redefine ways of working forever. Right. Yeah. Okay. And um, tracking that, I mean, how are you going to you going to go about? You're the you're the COO of this business. I mean, what are you going to do? You just you're going to make your own decisions and take your own bets, or you're going to try and look around, or how, how are you going to keep an eye on that? Because it's a real thing that's vexing a lot of our clients. Is how on earth do I keep up with this? Yeah. Well, what, what I love about this is no one has the answer. No. Even the smartest consultants, Neil, and everyone, no one has the answer. You know, your answer is as valid as my answer is as valid as someone else's answer is as valid as Stuart Houston at Dropbox's answer. You know. We don't know, right? But if you're if you're in touch with your business, we've done loads of surveys, and we said to guys, "Are you sick of the surveys?" No, and we can get an understanding of where our our colleagues are on the journey, and we've done loads of surveying of our customers. We know where our customers are in this journey too. That gives us a a, a little bit of a compass or a bit of an insight into to making the right decision. But I think what's great about being at a startup and having a startup culture is you're happy to have a go, right? You're happy to try stuff, you know, because that's your existence. That's how you became the company that you are. Pivoting is the term people use. So we'll give it a go. We'll say, let's see if we can work like this. Does it work? What mm. technology do we need? How do people need to behave? How do things be different? Does it work? This bit works, that bit doesn't work. Right, let's change it. Let's pivot to here. And that's how we work. So actually, I'm really comfortable because we're a business that works like that. Your business is probably not much differently, although in your business, you probably all remote anyway. But test and learn, test and learn, test and mm. learn, test and learn. I've got a little presentation. I sort of said, we're all startups now, right? Mm. Whether you're BA, British Gas. That's a good point. Virginia, yeah. Yeah. We're mm. all startups now, mm. right? And and it's those who will be able to respond to this fast-moving nature of the decisions they need to make. Trust their colleagues, back to your thingy, to make decisions. Trust them to work in ways that are going to be different and not try and say, you must wear a shirt and tie, come back to the office. If you do that, they're well and good. I don't think they'll be the winners in in two, well, one, two, three, four, five years' time. Those would be the fast-moving businesses, oh, sorry, the agile businesses that will win. Yeah, the true spirit of agile, small A and big A. Um, all right, just drawing to the close now, there's, there's a couple of other things. So um, one of the things I ask all of my guests is, what do you think, being truly customer centric means um well i've kind of i've kind of said it but i'll repeat it which is for me it means you know there's people are saying oh, we put the customer at the heart of our business it kind of does mean that mm. right but let's call it a north star i don't say the heart put them at, at the top right put them at the top of the business and their interest at the top of the business and 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 doing the right thing for them and that might cost you money it might mean you leave money on the table but in the long run, that will work for you. You know, we and you know the reason I came to Port Bumini is to try and prove the things that I wrote 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. To, to give a living example of of not just saying, oh, these things are important, create a North Star, measure thingy, do customer journeys, create culture, right? That was easy to say in rhetoric, and it's harder to do in reality, but what I hope we're proving that is that that, that does work. And so if you if you create the North Star around customers, focus on that, build everything you do about them doing well for you, create metrics on your board papers that are as much about customer satisfaction, loyalty, as they are about revenue and profits and EBITDA, you'll be doing all right. Yeah. And, you know, to your point there about going to Bought by Many to do that, to their credit, from my perspective, is that letting this lunatic come in and have a go in their business and your business, because I know that, you know, it's, it's very much part of you as well, but is somewhat different from saying we are customer centric, but actually doing it is a, is a different thing. And it, I think it kind of separates companies that do and companies that say it you know they're they're sort of two different things really and what about and just just purely almost for entertainment value but can you can you recall an experience you've had and i don't want you to talk about bought by many but where that defines fantastic customer experience so something maybe recent or something you know just with another organization that you came away and and kind of felt viscerally that this was something you enjoyed having happened to you or you know it was it was a good experience yeah Let's draw it in with the, the pivoting and the disruption. You know, I'm going to make it local. So my local Chinese restaurant, not takeaway, they didn't do takeaway, right? Restaurant. Well, actually, they did a bit because all Chinese restaurants do a bit of takeaway. But it was mainly a really top-notch restaurant. Obviously, he's had the issues with uh, Corona and closing the store and pivoting into um, takeaway. And uh, well, a few weeks ago, now, a months ago, I phoned up to get takeaway. And it, the whole process was different. Oh, this is interesting. You know, what do you want? It's not, not what do you want, but um, yeah, what would you like to order? And took the order and read it back and gave us a number, right? It's like a slot and a time. Oh, we'd never get that before. We'd normally, like, it'd be ready in the thing. No, 705-132, that's your number. I'm like, this is great, right? Drove up and they literally had it in it's like they're ricardo but for chinese takeaway <laughs> it was in it was literally incredible right and because we had to go in in turns you know, they had a gridded system into the place to pick it up and out of the place to to come round, and it was already at 7:35. and i'm like 105 105 paid got the number done out and i thought do you know what this is the same place they're always good at customer experience but this is unreal, right? Um, it, they know what their customers want. They know about safety. They know about the environment. They know what's important to customers. Because remember, our expectations have massively changed. All of it, you know, because we worry about safety mm. and what do I do and do I get out of the car and what do I have to wear gloves or all of that. They thought about all of that and they made the experience the best it could be in the circumstances. And literally, there was people coming from everywhere because it got around that, you know, one, they were open, two, they were effective, three, it felt safe. And before you got your order when you wanted it to, which is the was at the core. And I'm like, wow, if they can do it, anyone can do it, right? Mm. If you focus on what you want to be great for your customers. So, mm. yes, Chef B. King, Wokium, well done. <laughs> and without advertising the organisation, can you think on the on the other hand of a terrible experience that you've had that typifies the opposite, that typifies a disregard for customers? Like 100%, right? So I bought... Um, my son, like all sons, into gaming. And, you know, I don't know if your kids are into that, but um, 
it got to the point where an Xbox or a, a PlayStation 5 isn't enough anymore. And you need a PC, you need a PC, Dad, you need a PC, right? <laughs> and he saved up, he saved up so diligently. And I said, I'll, I'll match whatever you save to get this thing. So, you know, he got a couple hundred quid and through Christmas money and jobs and tasks and car boot sales and you name it. And so we bought this PC online and they were kind of good, but they made an error on it. And I had to phone them up the other day and I got the classic, you know, oh, we're really busy, really busy. And so, you know, press one for this or press two for that. You press the two, oh no, we can't get back to you, but leave a message, Boo, cut off, right? No response to leave it all, you know, try and email, email them, no response. You know, Twitter, DM, no response. So basically I'm left with no way of contacting this organization at all, mm. nothing, mm. right? So they built a decent PC. It's got, the issue is not big, but it's big enough to be irritating for Harry. And if anything's irritating for your 13 year old son, it's irritating for you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I need them to fix it and I can't contact them. And that is bizarre to me and really disappointing and not at all customer centric. And I'm sure they have their own issues as many huge organizations have had, but you've got to get communication right. You've got to give people the opportunity to be able to access you. And for me, that's uh, a real problem. And what's worse is I can't even get in touch with anyone to complain. No. No, it's just yeah. I mean, we've we've had a similar issue with a uh, with a furniture company recently, and um, yeah, very very hard to contact them in any way, shape, or form. What do you do? Well, no, exactly. Well, what do you do is you start using social media to shout about it and hope that someone picks up on it, don't you? And, and not necessarily to cause trouble, but to actually often that seems to be the channel that you can at least get something to happen. But surprisingly, not as the case may be. But uh, yeah, I, I think I honestly think people, this is an unbelievable time and people are thinking i'm sure they're thinking we're, we're like our business is up and down you know maybe this is important but what they should think is actually I'll, if we take care of our customers they will take care of our business mm. and people think because there's no north star right because it's not the north star they think actually if we just get them not to we've seen that a lot with some of the travel companies and you know if we just keep them uh, just keep them away we'll be able to survive but you've got to take care of them when, when this all goes, there'll be lots of travel companies who people will never use them again mm. because of what they've put them through. Mm. through this thing. Money back, yeah. So that yeah. short-term perspective may lead to long-term problems. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I suspect I might know the answer already because you've said it a few times, but I mean, can you share something that you've learned in your time as a leader in business, which you could never have learned at a business school? <laughs> it's like everything, right? I went to business school, so I should know. And actually... They don't teach you really about customer centricity. <laughs> they don't really teach you about that. They teach you about Porter's Five Forces and economics and accountancy and Blue Ocean strategy and all of these great things. But they teach you very little about the power of customer centricity. And that's what I've learned, right? I've, I've learned it from seeing it in real life. I've learned it from being able to build a business based on it or being part of a business that at Sainsbury's that, that, that literally loved its customers, you know, and, you know, that business Sainsbury's was about, about a million things, right? It really is, you know, logistics, mm. buying, you know, creating great product, all the rest of it. But at its heart, it was about customers, yeah. right? And giving customers what they want. And, you 
you, you learn all the other bits about that, maybe at business school, but the bit you don't learn is just understand your customers, put them in the heart of your business and make their life as easy as possible and you'll do okay. Brilliant. Well, I hope there's some business schools listening because uh, we'd love to get that on the curriculum at some point. Yeah, oh, like it would be amazing. And you know, one day when I've got more time, I might write to a few of them and say, we need to do this. Well, that was going to be my final question, just in closing. So um, so what next for you, Oki? Uh, any more books in you? Or um, do you know, uh, have you got a thought about what you might do next? Because, um, you know, you've, you've had a big influence on a lot of people over the years. And uh, I'd love to know what's going to come next. Yeah. So we've got a job to do at Bought by Many still. And that's an incredible journey. And we'll play that out to where it, where it goes to, which will be great. Um, uh, once that job is completed from my perspective anyway, at least. I'd love to focus more on, on the racial equality thing. I think it's I think it's like a calling and there's a big job to do and I'm well placed to do it. So um, I would love to do that. And then, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go back to talking about customer, customer experience and spreading that message. You know, I've kind of always felt like I'm a bit of an evangelist when it comes to that and, um, I love being that. I love doing that. And and doing Bought by Many was partly to give me, a, 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 as I've done, and thank you for giving me the opportunity, a real working example mm. of, of what we all believe in that I could say, I don't just say this and I don't just preach it. I, I've done it. And, you know, look, we've taken a business from 20 people to 400 people in a short period of time with a great impact and great valuation. And that's really by focusing on customers. And so I think, yeah, that, that it'll be great when this job is done to tell people the story of it. Maybe in a book, maybe in a podcast, or maybe in other forms, maybe talking at business schools. But all of that, my job is to spread the word for customer centricity, which is ridiculous that it has to be done, but it still does. Well said. Okay, it's been an absolute pleasure, as it always is, having a conversation. I hope people have, have taken not just inspiration away from the conversation, but also some really practical examples of how you can take these concepts and actually apply them in real-life situations in companies across a range of different sectors, which is obviously what you've been doing. So, so thank you for being so candid and sharing it all. And yeah, well, look forward to speaking to you again soon, hopefully. Yeah, always, always. Thank you very much. Cheers, Okay. Thanks very much for listening today. If you found that useful, please give us a like on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And if you'd like to know more, you can find us at penpartnership.com or you can follow Pen Partnership on LinkedIn. Until next time, goodbye.